Amen. Thank you so much, Tim. We want to take our Bibles this morning and we're going to turn to Acts chapter 2, pretty familiar passage in the Bible, and we want to welcome you here today. Um, you know, we um, reopened our first stage um, a couple of months ago, and really what we just said was we'd like for you to come. If you feel like you can come, you come. We didn't maybe encourage it much, but we just said, hey, we're going to be open, and most of our people are probably watching on uh, a video somewhere. Uh, their computer, their television set. But next week, we're going to open, reopen with our second step. And we're going to be bringing back our preschool and children's church for the worship hour. Now, it's true we're not going to be having small groups. We're not going to have small groups really for adults unless your class wants to meet here. And we would love to have you beginning next week. Some of them already started uh, a few weeks ago. And so they're here, but maybe they don't need child care those kind of things. So we're, we're going to encourage you to begin coming back because even though um, we are, you're doing well, and I'm, I'm sure that you're growing uh, from Zoom uh, with your small groups as well as the worship service, there just comes a time where we have to come back together. I gave you the illustration uh, a few months ago about uh, my grandchildren uh, living, of course, with uh, their parents over in um, England for the last 11 years. And they're here on the state side now, they've come back. But nevertheless, for those 11 years, what we found was we started with Skype and then um, went from there, you know, with FaceTime. And we discovered when we visited there and then called them the next week or FaceTime with them the next week, next week after that, for about a month, they were just right there in front of the camera. They just couldn't wait to talk to us. And I'm not bragging about it, I'm just telling you the truth, not, not, no, no bragging, but you know, they couldn't wait to see us. And then about the second month, it was just, you know, they were sitting there and they would tell us things when we asked them questions. And by the third month, they would just sort of pass it in front of the camera. And really, FaceTime, Skype, really do work long distance if you have a relationship with those that you're Skyping or FaceTiming with. Zoom works as long as you have a good relationship. But what happens is, after you've gone going a, a period of time where you're not meeting together in person, those relationships can kind of fall apart a little bit. And so we need to make moves that we're getting back together. Now we've taken safety measures here in the church. The reason we're going 9 and 11, 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock services because we clean in between services. And then we're asking you to sit on every other row, which I think you're doing. And the next, uh, the last hour, nine o'clock hour, set on the rows that you're not sitting on. And then we are asking you to do social distancing and also wearing masks. Now, I know that um, some of you really don't want to wear a mask coming in. Maybe you're watching and say, hey, you know, I'm going to come back when you, the mask requirement's not there anymore. I don't like this mask requirement because it's uh, maybe a conspiracy or just taking away your rights. But you know, the last time I went to a restaurant, I, I saw a sign on the door that said, shirts and shoes required. And you know, I didn't feel like my constitutional rights were being taken away there because the last thing you and I want to do, guys, is go into a restaurant with our shirt off. It'll, it'll ruin the business. Everybody just walk out. They get grossed out and lose their appetite, right? But it's also there for health reasons. You know, you wear shoes, you wear a shirt for health reasons. Now you're wearing a mask for health reasons. So they're asking us to do it. Now I know everything's political today and they're making a big political thing out of it. Okay, and if you, you know, it's like this. If you want to make it politics, it's real easy. If you wear, if you take the mask off one side, you know, let it hang. You know what I'm talking about? 
You hangs on the left side, you're a Democrat, hangs on the right side, you're a Republican. So there you go. Um, but I would like to share with you some, uh, a couple of other facts because really what I want to ask you to do, first of all, don't hug. All right, don't, please don't do that. Every horror story I've heard about funerals and church services, people sitting very close together, they're hugging around. You know, once, if you have it and you hug someone, it's hard not to pass it on. And so we're asking you not to get uh, huggy on one another if you, if you could do that. Um, but also, I'd just like to share with you that uh, there's some people that um, you have a loved one at home older. Maybe you're living in a nursing home right now, but you'd like to come to church. Uh, you have uh, maybe a diabetic, but maybe you uh, have some sort of connective tissue, uh, immune problem. Uh, we know that it may be the wisest thing for you to do. Stay home, continue to watch online because I think God can give you a special grace to do that. Um, and so that being in mind, however, the rest of us should not certainly live. We, we ought to be careful, uh, not only for ourselves, but for our fellow man, but we can't be fearful. You know, every time we have adversity in our life, it's an opportunity to fear or an opportunity to trust. Now, let me just share with you some statistics. And all I, all I did, I was watching, uh, actually, I was on the internet and I was looking at the different cases and uh, the articles about the pandemic. And so I just simply did this. And you, can, you could have done this as well, if you haven't already. I simply did some division. That's all. And so here's what I, I came up with. I divided the number of um, cases that we've had in this nation by the number of people in the nation. And I came up with the statistic that you are 1.6% of the people there it is on, online, on the, on the screen. 1.6% of the people have COVID or have had it. They don't necessarily have it now, but they have caught it at some point. Of that 1.6, 3.2% have died from it. And of course, you know that, I think an article was recently in the paper that if you take away all the people that died in the nursing home from Seminole County, I think no one has, has died. Now, I know there's other factors involved. There's, hey, if you're exposed to it, you have to stay home, maybe for a couple of weeks, quarantine. Uh, there's a lot of suffering to it, sometimes even when you don't pass away. But when you do all the division, you divide the number of deaths in America, and every, every death's important, every person's important. And uh, you know, somebody said, well, you're not, you're not, you're not sensitive. To it. No, I'm just, I'm just dealing in facts and truth because sometimes we need to relax our fears a little bit. But the chances if you just look at the statistics only, I'm not a doctor, just the stats and the division, you are 0.04% um, of the people in America have died from COVID. That's not 1%, that's not 0.1%, but that's 0.04%. And so while that may sound like lack of compassion to you, you know, we can talk about a lot of things about lack of compassion, drunk driving, abortion issues. And you know, we have half the abortions that we have had 20, 30 years ago, but we still have a lot of them. And so we can make that argument all we want, but I'm just trying to deal with the facts. We need to be careful, but we don't need to give, give uh, counsel to our fears. And so I realize that they're high risk among you, but you know, some people are using maybe an excuse to stay home, it's more convenient. Other people, however, are saying that the church is not really relevant today. 
It's not an essential thing. In fact, let me, what do you say to somebody that says 86% of Americans say that you can be a good Christian and not go to church? 86%. Other say that, in fact, 10 million Americans claim that Christ, claim Christianity do not attend church anywhere. What do you say to them? How do you respond to that? Now, I know that I'm a pastor, so yeah, I do want you to come to church, all that kind of stuff, but not, not at the risk, okay? But I do want you to come, but what does God say about it? What does God say about his church and the relevancy of it? Is it essential? Is it necessary? Is it relevant? Well, the Bible is a story of God building a family who loves him, honors him, obeys him, and will live for, with him forever. So how does attending a building with a bunch of other people and worshiping and singing and then hearing a Bible lesson, a preaching message, how does that relate to all this that God commands in the Bible? Well, please realize, and I realize this more and more as the older I get, as I read the Bible, I realize how much the church is important to Jesus. At the end of the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, he always talks about the group together. In the book of Acts, it's the beginning of the church. In fact, just picking up the story here, we find that uh, Jesus Christ has died on the cross. He was resurrected on the third day. He ascended up into heaven, and the Holy Spirit has come down on the day of Pentecost. They were all together in one place. They begin to pray. They were one in heart, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit of God descended upon them, and the church was started at that point. We look in the book of Matthew, the, he ends, the very last thing he talks about is going out and leading people to Jesus to grow the church. John chapter 17, Jesus high, it's called Jesus' high priestly prayer. In that prayer, the first five verses, he prayed for himself. The next section he prays for the disciples, the church, you might say, that are right in front of him. And then beginning in verse 20, he prays for all of us in the future. And so, as we look at this, I want us to see a couple of things. One, the why of the church. Uh, secondly, the what. And thirdly, the how. How do they do it? I, first of all, want us to look this morning, as you look at the scriptures, at the why. Verse 41 says, So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they were devoted, they had devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so we find here a word, a key word that they have done, and that is they have devoted themselves. Now this word devoted means to give of yourself. Jesus Christ gave of 33 and a half years of his life to us. He devoted himself to us. The last three and a half years was to build up to something great and marvelous. He was building up to that, and then he gave his life for us on the cross. He devoted himself, and now we find the apostles in the early church, the 120 that were in that upper room that were first uh, received the Holy Spirit of God, we can find them looking at one another, looking and being together with one another, devoted to one another as well as to God. Now, in John chapter 17, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, we find that Jesus was praying for his disciples. Here's what he said to his 12 or 11 that were standing right in front of him. All mine are yours, he says to God, his father, and yours are mine. 
and I am, I am glorified to them, in them. And I am no longer in the world. He says, look, I'm not going to be in the world, Father, but these are going to be in the world. That's what he says. I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And so already, it's not just talking about unity. It's talking about collectively. It's talking about a partnership that's going on here. It's talking about a group. It's talking about a community that is one together. Then he says about the church in the future. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. The glory, listen to this, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Think about that for just a moment. The glory that the Father in heaven has given the Son, he is passing on to us, that they may be one even as we are one. Now here's what one person, this is a good way to put it. Jesus spent his life raising up a group of people that would represent the Father on earth as he represented the Father on earth. Now, get that for just a moment. What is the church? Jesus spent his life. He spent his life raising up a group of people that would glorify and represent the Father on this earth the way he, as the Son, represented the Father on earth. He's passing the baton onto us and he's calling it, eventually, it will be called the church. Not just individuals, but a group together. We were made for community. We were made to be together. We gain strength from being together. We gain inspiration. We gain teaching from being together. We can find it again in the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He fellowshiped with himself even before he created mankind. We look at the early church in the day of Pentecost, and we understand, as we said last week, the church grew 40% per decade for 30 decades, 300 years. That's incredible. They overtook the Roman Empire. It wasn't their goal, their dream. In fact, they probably never even thought about overtaking the culture. With the Roman, for the Roman Empire. We talk about the culture wars today as though that's our war. That wasn't the war in the early church. The war was against principalities and powers of darkness. It was against sin. And the answer was the gospel of Jesus Christ that the disciples and the early church took to the rest of the world and they believed it and they were one together. And because of that, they changed the world. Now we look at the why. The why is Jesus spent his life raising up a group of people that would represent the Father on earth as he represented the Father. Now, what is it about the church that makes it all special? What is it about us that makes us relevant? What's different from joining another club? Or fact, as a matter of fact, another church that's not a gospel preaching church? A few things here. Number one is that it's relevant because it grows out of a supernatural power. I want you to look with me in verse 41. 3,000 people were saved on the first day. First sermon. Now, there was no, nothing leading. There was a lot leading up to that. I'm, I'm not saying that the, the resurrection was not being talked about in the circles of gossip and, and people were talking about it. But nobody went around and planted seeds in somebody's life and telling them the gospel five, six, seven times. It wasn't that like we do today. First time. First time they heard it. 3,000 people 
gave their heart and life to Jesus Christ. And their lives were changed forever. It talks about they devoted themselves to the fellowship, the Bible. Look, look in verse 43. And all came about, every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The greatest miracle of all was a soul being saved. Other things were being done as well. Are you standing in awe? Does, does the church today miss the awe of what God is really doing in the world? Jesus said, or, uh, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The greatest miracle of all is when you and I repent of our sins, humble ourselves at the foot of the cross, ask Jesus to come into our heart, and his spirit comes to live inside our heart to give us the power to live the Christian life and to do the Christian work. That is the great power. That is the gospel-changing message. Do we believe in that message? Do we really believe it today? You have people being passionate about so many things today. I'm not picking on any one group of people or anything, just people passionate. You know, social ministry, we're passionate. I believe in social ministry. Our church has done that here. And you can't say that we, no one can say that we haven't. You know, the question was asked me years ago, if, the, if this church ceased to exist, would the, would the neighborhood miss it? Would the town miss it? And we have been determined in our heart that they would, you know, for a long time. But the gospel message, do we, have we given up on the gospel? Have, have, have you given up? You know, back in the 60s, well, really the 70s, 80s, Jesus movement, movement was going on and things subsequent to that. A lot of people were called to the ministry. A lot of people are pastoring today uh, from that type of ministry and that type, type of ministry that went on during those 70s. We saw miraculous things. We saw people being saved out of a horrible situation and their life changed in the twinkling of an eye. Their desires changed, their heart changing. Do we see that today? With all the wonderful youth groups we have going on across the nation and the children's programs and the state of the art things that we have taking place, are our young people today seeing that type of thing, seeing that type of miraculous things that are going on in people's lives? It seems like we're, we've got to be passionate about something, and the gospel we don't see is working. Have we given up on the gospel? Because one thing that made this, gener this uh, generation of church, this church, the early church, powerful as it is, they believed in the gospel. They believed that Jesus Christ died for them on the cross, that he made the difference between heaven and hell, that he rose again on the third day. They believed that. That was the central message to all the apostles' sermons, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do we believe that today? Now, certainly, we look back and we can't say there was just that kind of miraculous thing in the New Testament. In fact, Scott Lauderette of Yale University made a study of why the church multiplied the way it did in the first few centuries. And he came up with these observations. One, unlike every other religion of the world, Christianity appealed to everyone. Before that, it was kind of a group thing. You, your group had your religion. Did you know the Hindu religion was made for India? We never meant to go outside the borders of India. Judaism really never went outside the borders of the Jewish, the Jewish faith never went outside the borders of the Jewish nationality. Christianity, Rome in fact, Rome had its kind of its own religion because you worshiped either yourself or a, a, male, a, a male or female God. 
an idol. It had its own religion, and it was made for Rome. It was the first one to ever go through and say, everyone is welcome. In fact, it appealed to all educational levels. In Rome, you were an intellectual elite. You were looked down upon as someone beneath you if you were not educated in Roman circles. We find that in educational circles in the New Testament, we find those that were in poverty that couldn't read or write and those that were intellectuals in the Roman Empire all coming together to form the church. It it was offered to both sexes. It's not that other religions were not, but women were put down. People say, well, you know, Paul's writings and other writings in the Bible kind of put women down. No, women were lifted up. If you were to read the Bible from the New Testament from New Testament times perspective from the first century, you would be shocked at how much women were raised up because of the Christian faith, because of Jesus Christ. It was the first racially and nationally diverse religion that we know about in history. You read Acts chapter 13 when it says in Antioch, they were first called Christians, first called Christians in Antioch. And in Antioch, it says they're going to send out, really beginning of foreign missions, Acts chapter 13. Kind of a cutoff point, a new chapter in the book of Acts between chapter 12 and chapter 13. But in chapter 13, it says there were people like um, Barnabas. He, he, was, um, he, was, he was Jewish. And then you had someone by the name of Lucius of Cyrene. He was, or, or, or Niger, I should say. And he was an African And then you had an Arab involved, an Arabic person involved, and you had a Roman Christian involved. You had all kinds of of people involved. How do we know that? They're named. Not only are they named, but they formed a team to go out on the very first missionary journey other than what uh, the typical apostles were doing. And so we find here something different, what the church was doing. They They were relevant because of their eternal purpose, not only because of Jesus Christ changing people's hearts, but because of the purpose, the gospel message. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. And by the way, this was not a a combative message. One man that was teaching as a guest professor in um, in a school uh, had conservative views. And he was explaining those conservative views and one young man came up to him afterwards and said, I perceive that you're sort of in between. In between. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, you're either coming out of conservatism going into liberalism, or you were a conservative, now you're coming into liberalism, and I just sort of perceive that you're sort of in between. You know, one of the two camps. It's got to be one of the two camps, but, you know, according to him, but you're in between. He says, oh, no, not at all. He says, my views are conservative because they're not really not conservative, they're biblical. They come out of the Bible. And the Bible says that, uh, and, and well, first he, I, I, missed, I, I skipped something. He said, I've, I perceive that you're liberal. Now, this is the main point of the thing. I almost missed the main point. Um, y'all need to listen better than that. And so, um, <clears throat> let me move on. No, um, you're going to be curious now, aren't you? He said, I, I perceive that you're liberal because you listen to people. Isn't that amazing? I perceive that you are liberal because you're open-minded. You listen to people. That's not necessarily true anymore, but it was true then. And he says, oh, no, no. The reason is because I'm a Christian and I get my, not so much conservative views, just Bible views, and then the biblical views then um, 
I'm, I'm open and honest with people, but I'm also listening to people. I want to know what they think, and I'm kind to people because the Bible teaches that. And the young man looked at me and says, no, that's not the reason. Christianity like that doesn't exist and walks off. Now, what does that say about us? See, it was verbal, but not combative. You had people that could not, they couldn't invite you to their home. Too much persecution going on. If they invited you to their home for a Bible study, you might tell the Roman Empire on them and then be persecuted and killed for your faith. They couldn't have an open air meeting. The Roman guards would just come and arrest them all. It was person to person, relationship to relationship. And they had a hope that was within them that drew them. In fact, let me tell you the, the, one of my favorite stories. Tony Campolo was a um, lecturer, teacher up in Philadelphia, his professor, and also um, did a lot of preaching as well. And he was off in, in Hawaii and doing a Bible conference there, doing some lecturing. And because of the time change in Hawaii, he was up at three o'clock in the morning. And he couldn't, he didn't know what to do with himself, and he, he got hungry. And so he, he went out of his hotel, walked down the street, and found a diner. Three o'clock in the morning, goes in the diner, begin, orders his food. He hears these two ladies talking. And it became pretty apparent, real quickly, that they were both prostitutes. One of them's name was Agnes, and Agnes said, I have a birthday coming up tomorrow. And the other lady said, the other woman said, well, <clears throat> are you going to have a birthday party? And she says, no, I... I've never had a birthday party. He said, not in your whole life. He says, no, not even as a little girl. Well, Tony Campolo's hearing this stuff. And so the two ladies leave, and he tur turns to the, um, the diner's owner, whose name is Henry, and he says, could we throw a birthday party for Agnes tomorrow night? He said, yeah, I guess so. He said, I tell you what, I'll, he's, Tony says, I'll buy the cake. I'll buy all the decorations. I'll come here early and decorate the place. You just get her friends. Do you know her friends? He said, yeah, I know all her friends. Get, get all of her friends there. So three o'clock in the morning, all the friends are there and he pretty soon realized all her friends are prostitutes. And so here is a Baptist minister, three o'clock in the morning, and he's in the middle of a, a diner with a room full of prostitutes and Henry. And so Agnes walks in, everybody sings happy birthday to her. Tears begin to come down her face. She's just crying. She looks at the cake, they're about to cut it. And she says, please, can I not cut the cake? Can I, I, just, I just like to save it. I'd like to just take it home and put it in the refrigerator and just save it for a few days. Can I, can I do that? They said, sure. Yeah, go ahead. So she left, and there was quiet in the room. Nobody knew what to do. And so uh, Dr. Campola said, well, why don't we pray for Agnes? And everybody said, oh, okay. And so he prayed. Prayed for her salvation. Prayed for her lifestyle. Prayed for hope in her life. Said amen. Henry looked up to him and said, you didn't tell me you are a preacher. What kind of preacher are you? He says, well, I'm the kind of preacher that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at three o'clock in the morning, <laughs> you know, in a diner. And he said, that's impossible. If a church was like that and a preacher was like that, I'd join that church. I'd join it. You see, there is a place, a big place, just to minister to people. But people are, are saying, I need it. You say, well, pastor, I, I know that's not true. I've got a lot of friends, a lot of neighbors, and um, they don't seem to need the gospel. I read a story the other day, <clears throat> and it's, the, the headline was, is that because of Zoom, plastic surgery is going up. 
So I was interested in that article. And so I began reading it, and the doctors were saying they're performing more plastic surgeries on the face this summer than any other time they can ever remember. And they ask them why. So, well, everybody's coming in, say, says that they're doing a lot of Zooming. They look at their picture on Zoom and see how old and ugly they look, and they come in for plastic surgery. True story. Now, listen, that's a lot of money to spend on that. I can tell you what to do better than that. You just simply move back from the camera. You look a lot better, trust me. And so, and so they're, they're doing all this. And so at the end of the article, I have no idea why this was even in the article because it had nothing to do with plastic surgery. But it said this, also during the pandemic, it's been estimated, not estimated, but in a survey, 11% of the adults in America have contemplated, seriously contemplated suicide. 40% have said they've suffered from mental health problems or drug abuse during the pandemic. See, right now, we, what do we have? we have? We have people isolated, and that's bad. But think about it for just a moment. Their gods have been taken away. You, your God is your career. Maybe that's taken away. Your God is sports, watching sports. That's taken away. Maybe your God is your children playing sports, and you live through your children playing sports. That's been taken away. A lot of money has been taken away. Jobs. Things that we have worshipped in our nation and around our world for many, many, many decades have suddenly been taken away. There's a void there. There's never been a greater opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ than right now, at this moment. But we can see this and we can see it's relevant because of the eternal purpose. We've got a purpose. We have a meaning to it all. And we have the practices. Look in verse 44, it talks about giving. It talks about selling their possessions, belonging, distributing the proceeds to all that, that are around. I believe in social ministry. I don't like to use that. We're just ministry. Uh, you know, the church was the original founder of hospitals. Did you know that this past year we retired $1.5 million of medical debt for over 1,000 families in Oviedo? We've had a food pantry most of the summer. We did $80,000 buy cameras for Oviedo high schools. We've helped the fire victims here in our city with the apartment burned down. We gave away 10,000 articles of clothing and other things, toiletries, just a couple of weeks ago for people to start back to school. We do that kind of ministry, but it can't be an end within itself because that's going to only solve temporary problems. And in the Bible, the church looked at the eternal and not the temporal. They didn't look to change culture in order for that to make their life better. They didn't look into politics in order to make their life better. They looked, and the answer was the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have not given up on the gospel. They believed in the gospel. And we wonder, have we given up on it? So how did the church do all this? And you may be saying, well, I just don't feel nervous. I don't feel like I'm up I'm for, the, for the task. How do they do it? Well, our mission statement, building lives that matter by teaching people to love, know, trust, and follow Jesus. Notice what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the word of God. God's, God's guidebook for our life. God's, God's method of nourishing us in the life. And it's not only that we need just to hear it on, on video somewhere, 
online somewhere or even in church somewhere, we need to have communication and community with one another that we learn from one another. Notice it says also they devoted themselves to fellowship, the word koinonia or partnership. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and is not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Basically, it's saying you need support, you need companionship, you need strength, you need inspiration. That's what you, you get from one another. You've heard me tell stories. High schoolers get out of high school, they're all fired up for God, they go off to school, and they don't have that support system around them, and they, they sort of burn away. It's like in a fireplace. I know we live in Florida, and we don't have a lot of fireplaces that are actually active fireplaces. But when I lived in Georgia, in the North Georgia mountains, we had, we had this big fireplace, and you put wood on there, and sometimes I'd really get to blazing, you know, I really like to be, be really hot, and it got too hot. And so what you would do, you'd have to uh, not reach in with your hand, but you had these, this instrument as you reach in and took the log and sort of set it in front of everything and, uh, and so it wouldn't burn so high. Now, what would happen to that log that when it was alone? When it was in the fire with the other logs, it was burning bright, giving away a lot of heat, on fire, literally. You bring it out pretty soon, it goes out, and you have to watch it because the smoke will just burn and eventually it just goes out. You take a Christian off by themselves, eventually the fire is going to go out. Rick Warren said it best, the Bible knows nothing of solitary saints or spiritual hermits, isolated from other believers and deprived of fellowship. The Bible says we are put together, joined together, built together, members together, heirs together, fitted together, and held together, and one day we'll be caught up together together. That's what the church is all about. That's the value of it. Notice they, they had all things common. Why? You, you, most of the people were poor. You're not going to worship God with, with somebody right beside you. <clears throat> they don't know where their next meal's coming from. No, you help out. You do what you have to do in order to make that happen. They were devoted in evangelism, verse 47. People were continually being saved. Devoted to worship, verse 47 says, praising God and having favor with all people. They got together and they worshiped the Lord and honored him and glorified him in their worship and they felt it. They sensed the presence of God as they were worshiping. No church can spread the gospel with any degree of integrity, says John Stott, let alone credibility, unless it has been visibly changed by the gospel it preaches. Have you been changed that way? Have you been changed? Here's the thing. They showed up. They showed up every day. They showed up. You can't grow if you don't show. Now, some of you have been showing up online, and God's given us all special grace for that. And some of you that are still going to be at home, you just, you know, you've prayed about it. You have a peace about staying home because you have a, an elderly loved one, you're a diabetic, you're high risk in some area. And then there's others that think to themselves, well, yeah, but pastor, it's gonna be hard to come back because it's just so convenient just to go online. Don't have to get ready, don't have to shower up, drink my coffee in front. And I'm pretty satisfied with that, I am. Then let me ask you a question, okay? 
Is God satisfied with it? Because that's the question, isn't it? Is God really satisfied? Will he continue to give us that kind of grace to grow when we just say, you know, just out of convenience. You know, my children now can come. There's no reason there. So just out of convenience, just because I, I'm just not motivated, I'd rather not. Is he going to continue to give us the grace to grow when we don't show? It says in Hebrews, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encourage one another and the more as you see the day drawing near. To those 86% of the people who say, you can be a good Christian and not, and not go to church. What do you say to them? I would say to them, no. Jesus spent his life raising up a group of people that would represent the Father on earth the way he represented the Father on earth. For us to say, hey, I love Jesus, but I don't want to go to church. It's like saying, I love Jesus, but I don't believe in his mission. I don't believe in his mission of life and why he even came. I would say to those people, no. And sooner or later, you're like the log in the fireplace, separated out from the rest of the fire, and it's not going to go well. You'll become weaker. The fire will go out. The churches will become weaker still. Weaker still. Some churches, some of them are older, some of them are brand new. They've gone out. They've closed their doors during this pandemic. They've grown weaker. And so we weigh against it all. The relevance versus the risk. It is relevant. But there is, we, we try to make it a safe, it'll be safer here and it is safer here than your local grocery store. But you say, but there's still, well, there's risk if you fall in that risky category. There's no doubt. So you, you weigh, God, the relevance and the risk, and you weigh it. But the relevance, the biggest purpose of all is the gospel of Jesus. And John Stott's right. Unless God has changed your life, you surely cannot tell anyone else, really, about the changes that Jesus Christ can make. And so I ask you today two things. One, if you're a Christian and you are either a member of this church, member somewhere else, you ask yourself the question, okay, nursery is going to be provided, children's church is provided for one hour. God, do I need to go? Do I need to be there? Do I, do I need to be there to continue to grow? You ask yourself that question. But then if you've never received Jesus into your heart and life, you need to do that now. You need to do that right now. The gospel really being relevant to you by receiving him. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you that question. First of all, do you know, do you know for sure that Jesus Christ has come to live inside your heart? You've asked him. You've repented of your sins. He's there. He's living there. If not, I want you to pray this prayer with me, whether here, in person, or online, somewhere. Pray this prayer with me silently as I pray aloud. Lord God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying for my sins. I open up the door of my heart, and I ask you to come in. Forgive me of all my sins. Make me the person that you want me to be. In Jesus' name. And God, as we continue to call on your name, I pray for every single believer who 
heard this message and will hear this message, they would just simply ask you, God, what would you have me to do? Come next week. What, what would you have me to do? And then, God, I pray that they would just obey you, whatever that may be. And we'll trust you with the results. We'll trust you to continue to give us grace no matter where we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.